0: You are listening to CKVS 93.7, the voice of the Shushwap, and you are tuned in to a very special episode of 25,000 Miles. With me today is Dominic Davy, the bass player from Tsunami Bomb, the host of 3Gigs Podcast, and also one of the hosts of Monster Candy Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Awesome. So, the whole story... Of, of you coming on the show is I recently discovered the Three Gigs Podcast. It's you ask a performer the three gigs that had a profound effect on a performer's life and career. And I thought that was the greatest. <laughs> the, the greatest <laughs> idea. And I was uh, like, you know what? And you're like, you're 50 episodes in, and yeah. nobody has turned the tables on you yet.
1: No, I feel like I've given a lot of stories along the way Because I don't just have somebody tell their stories I also kind of tell a little bit of my own It helps make them a little bit more comfortable When they're sitting there trying to figure out what to say I'll tell a couple of my own Like, I've pulled hints Because, yeah, there's, there's a lot of I have only a few first shows But I have a whole lot of great shows, and I have a whole lot of terrible shows.
0: <laughs> you know? As as one would. Yeah. yeah. And um, I thought that was crazy that no one had done that. <laughs> I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to be the first to step up and do
1: this. <laughs> you are. Congratulations. You are the first to step up and do it. I mean, the, the whole idea behind it was I was just trying to come up with an idea uh, that would allow people listening to get the feel of a show, like, I mean, get the feel of what it's like for those of us on tour, if we're hanging out, like, say, uh, at a festival or I just played a show or, you know, a tour kind of, you know, a band meets up with another band, we're all hanging out, we're all talking. And I was like, how can I stimulate that? And it made sense to kind of, like, I thought about all the kind of fishtail, stories everybody tells on tour you know when you're just like drinking and hanging out and you're just telling stories about the stuff that happened to you on tour and then you think what if i do we do a show which just focuses on like first show best show worst show and then and went from there you know originally i wanted to do a horror podcast and i ended up being on a horror podcast Yeah, yeah it happened but originally i wanted to do about horror movies but like a bunch of my friends already started a really successful horror podcast. <laughs> so I was like, oh okay, that's not a good idea. Like it's already been done a hundred million times. Which is the irony is I ended up doing it anyway. But yeah, this one this this one's special to me. I, I I really like the show. I get to talk to a lot of people and not many people have told me no yet, so I'm lucky.
0: Yeah, um, right? No no and, one's told me no
1: either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See it's kinda it kinda works. You're surprised how much epic can happen. When you ask, actually, ironically, the one the one no that I've had, I've had a couple people that didn't get back to me yet, um, but the the one who said no is actually my friend. And my um, when I'm not touring or, or doing anything else, I, I work with Alternative Tentacles Records, and uh, so it's owned by Jello Biafra. And Jello told me no. <laughs> he
0: yeah, said he it's would a be soft he, no. He would a soft no. He um. He would be a tough one.
1: He was like, he goes, I love the idea. I love that it's only three questions. He goes, but the problem is, if I start telling the story of my worst show, I'm going to have to name some names, and that's going to cause me problems. (laughs) And I was like, well, don't... Yeah, don't name name names. (laughs) And he, like, gave me this look like I was the biggest idiot ever. He was like, I'm going to name names. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like... uh, I was like, all right. He's like, ask me again in a little while. And I was like, okay, all right. He was one of the first people I asked because we're friends. and uh, He was like, he was hilarious. But I'm going to ask him again, but I will. Yeah,
0: yeah, season three.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just started the new season, and I had to do – my first guest was – is Sean Salt this week. I just put it out. Sean Salt of White Zombie. Yep. And Mm -hmm. she's awesome. Yeah. And uh, she loved the idea, too. And she was like, listen, the last two podcasts that I have done, I mouthed off. And I, I totally went viral. So I'm not going to do a, I'm not doing any more podcasts. But I love your idea. Will you let me type them up for you? And then I was like, That's uh, what do I do with that? <laughs> yeah. like, so I, yeah. not, I'm trying to do a podcast. So I, I did a written article this week, that's just website only, uh, 3gigspodcast.com, where she shares her story. And then next week, we start season three, and I, I have regular podcast episodes. So
0: Awesome. Those are my two weird no's. <laughs> I, oh, man. And, well, those those are decent no's, though. Yeah, I'm going to get Jello on the show. It's going to happen. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but okay, we will get into your three gigs. But before we do, Tsunami Bomb is back in action in over a decade, and you have two brand new songs that you put out. Um, Yeah. How did that come about, getting back together and writing songs and stuff again?
1: Well, Tsunami Bomb uh, was a band I started back in 1998, and I was...
0: uh, Yeah, that's like 20 20 years ago now.
1: Yes, exactly. We had a we had a 20th anniversary show earlier this year, which is super weird, but um, <laughs> but it was it was fun. We try not to mention like oh we're 20 years old now. Oh,
0: and but, I, I um, had to be the idiot to do that.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. It's a fact. I mean, get, you can Wikipedia that. Like, but it's like it, it's weird to say like oh I'm in to band has been around 20 years. But granted, for about 10 years we took a break. So. Um, but uh, we, the band was really busy, and it really was intense, and it kind of fell apart sort of slowly, kind of broke apart. And I had left in 2003, and it finally ended in 2005. And um, it, did a, it did a partial reunion of the last lineup in 2009, and uh, I never, even though I had left performing in the band, I never stopped being a member. I started the band, I named the band, I was one of the primary songwriters. Like, I never stopped being in it. I just didn't play with it anymore. So I've always owned it, or been part of the ownership of it. But So Kung Fu Records came to, to us, and that was a label that had put out everything for us. And Kung Fu Records at the time, for most of its existence, was owned by um, Joe Escalante, and Warren Fitzgerald from the Vandals, and they kind of hit me up, and they were like, because I I've been working with them, doing you know helping them out with the label, kind of redo you know revitalizing it, yeah. And they were like, you know, Tsunami Mom still sells, and I was like, really? That's always good. I mean, Worldview well, statements aren't humongous, but I know they just keep, they keep coming, so that's good. And he goes, no, people are still interested in it, and I know, I know you have a lot of unreleased like out-of-print EPs, not unreleased, but out-of-print stuff. Like, you have 7 Inches and, and you EPs you did in the early days, and, and they're not circulation, but I'd like to put them out. So we went back and forth, and then I approached the rest of the band, mostly the, you know, more original lineup, or original-ish, I should say. <laughs> Unfortunately, tsunami Bomb has been one of those bands where there's just been a lot of people for it. It wasn't what we intended, but it's just how it happened. And... So they really convinced us, like, no, people want you to come back and and put stuff put this stuff out and then so we were all we all agreed to do it and that became the collection Trust No One, an LP collection that's out on company Records and has all of our early stuff. And while we were talking about putting that together, we realized like, well, you know, if this comes out, it's just gonna come out and no one's gonna really notice. It'll just appear on a record shelf and people will find it if they find it. But, like what brings anybody's attention to it. You know, it was so nice to talk to everybody. We realized for the most part, not all of us, like the most part, a lot of us were over all the old days and bickering and stuff. So we wanted to play together. So we kind of agreed to try and come back together for some shows that we could support this release and just kind of let everyone know it's out there. But, um, Our second vocalist, but the vocalist that everybody knew the most, uh, Emily Whitehurst, she didn't want to come back. She was focused on her own career, uh, a band called, a project called The Survival Guide for Solo Project, and she just didn't want to do it anymore. And um, so originally the plan was we were going to come together and we were going to be a brand new band, kind of like Flag or something, where we had a new name, kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, back to Tsunami Bomb and that we would play maybe some new songs, but we'd play a bunch of the old songs, and everybody would know who exactly we are. But we just have a lot of fun with it and bring some attention to this record. And, you know, and, and we talked to all the people who didn't want to come back. We kind of tried to extend the invitation from a bunch of different people, and really not, you know, there were people who just didn't want to do it. And then the original, but we, we had enough of the original writers and people who had defined the sound and played most of the shows and, and just been the... The bedrock of the band, and the majority of it was that. Initially, when we started, the four of the five were the original people, and then, um, and we found uh, Kate Jacoby, uh to be our, our center vocalist and our original vocalist. One of our original vocalists and keyboard player, Ubiat Sparks, came back, and so her voice is back in it. And a lot of people don't realize how much she actually did, and how many of the songs I hear have her in them and her influence on them. And then Kate was just amazing. She sang the songs in her own way, but without copying anybody. But still, it was sounded really tsunami bomb. And at one point, our uh, guitarist at the time, Brian Plink, was like, "This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like this is so wrong. Like we're not anything else. This is tsunami bomb. This isn't anything else. Don't try and call it anything else. This is totally tsunami bomb." let it be Tsunami Bomb. You started it, you came up with the name, you wrote most of the song, stop it. It's, you know, let everyone just deal with it. You know, they'll get used to it or they won't. And I was like, well, I couldn't think up another name anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and it did sound like Tsunami Bomb. Like, and everybody who came in and saw it play, they were like, oh my God, this is Tsunami Bomb. So it just felt right. And I was like, okay, well then I said, you know, I talked to like, I even talked to Jello. I mentioned earlier, I talked to him about it. I talked to a lot of people about it because I didn't want to be a situation like the Dead Kennedys. I didn't want it to be an ugly situation or weird, but nobody was fighting. So that helped. And so we just went about trying to do the shows in a way that paid tribute to it and did it tastefully. And then as we kept playing shows, it just kept getting bigger and doing better. And of course we had that initial response where people were like, no, nope. (laughs) No. You always get a little bit of those that people who were just weren't into it, but we (laughs) are still going two years later and, you know, it just, it went quickly from just doing a couple shows together to kind of, you know, spotlight this record to then starting to write songs again and then people really responding to those and really loving them and and then the live set, them executing correctly and, and then Kate just winning people over constantly and it's like quietly without any, like, super huge marketing money or any craziness. We didn't come back and go, we, bomb, back. we just kind of just quietly kept building it up. And it's just been so much fun. Yeah. And, and it, it's worked so well.
0: It's, it's made its, its way, it's way all the way up
1: here. <laughs> up in Canada. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we got to play. We actually, not on your side of the country, but we got to play recently. You know, just earlier this year, we played the Fest. And that was incredible and crazy, and it's just, it, you know, I mean, and it, if it didn't feel like Tsunami Bomb, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't let it be Tsunami Bomb, but it really does. And, you know, we've had our ups and downs. We've had some really hard times, you know, with, you know, you know, our uh, Brian Plink ended up having to leave due to health problems and personal issues, and then we brought, you know, we had a friend selling in, and, and then he passed away, you know, Chris LaForge, he was, um, he was from a band called, um, a natural records band called Dirty Foot Fall out of Texas. He was an incredible guitar player, and an incredible friend, and he filled in for us, and then, you know, uh, until we found somebody, and then he also passed away, and, and so that really threw us for a loop, and, and kind it was kind of hard to get over that. And then now we have Andy Pohl on guitar, who's an old friend, who's at our first show ever. He watched us play. So it's really just been a... You know, it's been a band. It, it's been Money Bomb again. And it's like, it's just been so fun. So that's how it came together. It was all because of that Trust No One uh, collection that led it all to happen. And, you know, we've never been crappy about our ex-members. We we wish them all well. And people go like, where's Emily? And we're like, Emily's right there. Yeah. <laughs> By <her> record. <laughs> She's doing great, you know? Yeah. We're not, we're not you know, it, it's not something like we're like, We wish her the best. We wish everybody who's in the band the best. We're trying to pay tribute to their time in the band and build off of that. And now we're finally like, okay, here's what we sound like. We're moving forward. And the response to that has been great. So so what we did was that we released the two songs to everybody on our mailing list uh, as in our street team. So if you're on the mailing list, you got the songs already. But otherwise, they come out on all digital platforms on October 5th. So everyone can hear them then. But if you wanted to hear them now, you can go to TsunamiBomb.net or our Facebook page, and there's a tab there, and you can sign up on our mailing list, and you'll be sent the songs immediately to download. You can have them. That's how we did it.
0: So let's start it off. What was okay. your very
1: first show? Well, let me ask you, do you want my first first show, or do you want Tsunami Bombs' first show? Both. Well, that's a good okay. Well, my very first show, um, I had put on shows at a local theater in Petaluma, California. That's in Northern California, in the North Bay area, just north of San Francisco. And there's a place called the Phoenix Theater where all the kids would go and hang out, and we'd all see shows. It was like the all age venue, and kids could hang out there after school, and it was just awesome. It's a beautiful, haunted old theater. And it's still there, still going. Kids still put on shows there. And I used to go to shows there all the time. And I loved putting on shows. I was never a musician, but then <laughs> a friend's band uh, at the show, I, I, I met this radio DJ who really loved them and wanted to play them on the radio. And they were all so drunk, they blew him off completely. and kind of hurt his feelings because they were just being lame. And I got so mad. I was like, you know, this sucks. Like, if I had a band, I would never do that to somebody. That sucks. Like, you just blew him off, and he likes your band, and you just wanted to tell you how much he liked your band, and he was trying to help you. And then I thought, I'm going to start a band. <laughs> so <laughs> I got my best friend, and they, he, they went on drums. They were on drums. And then I, uh, I was like, okay, I need, a, I need something I can learn fast. And so I picked the bass. Um, even though bass is fast to learn, but long to master, I just like to put it in that note. You know, it's easy to easy to fake it, but to play it right, it takes time. Yeah, but, well said, so we, well said. We threw, yeah, it's a great instrument. It's still my favorite instrument to play, but, um, you know, I, I'm not shortchanging bassists there. But uh, <laughs> we threw together, and I didn't, I was so naive at this point. I was like... I have an amazing idea for a band, and my friends were like, "What do you want to do?" I was like, "I want to do a ska punk band," and they're like, "Really?" And I was like, "Yeah." So like, we'll do ska verses and then we'll do punk choruses. And I had never heard of Operation Ivy at the time. (laughs) I thought I was being so freaking clever, but it turns out like, and then someone introduced me to Op Ivy, and I was like, "Wow, they do it way better than me." (laughs) but we started the band and we called it generation y and it had we found this girl who was singing in a coffee house and she was a lot younger like i think i was like 17 and she was like 15 and then most of us and then i think the guitarist was like 16 and so we put together this band and i it's really funny because it was totally the rough draft of tsunami bomb and uh if you look at it you know, sonically, even it kind of was, and it's really rough when I hear the recordings. It's really embarrassing. It's really out of out of you know. It's just there's so many problems. It's totally a first band. It's terrible, <laughs> but there's a catchiness to it, and we ended up becoming. Eventually, we would become a headliner, uh, locally, and it was great. Like our, it was, we had a lot of fun with it, and uh, <laughs> the first show was at the Phoenix Theater, and I let my parents convince me. That what would be cool was for me to wear this brown leather vest. It's like biker vest. <laughs> and I look, I, I, I see the pictures of myself and I look uncomfortable and ridiculous. And God bless them, they meant well. And honestly, right now, I probably look way hipster and cool. But back then, I was just so embarrassed <laughs> <laughs> the whole time. And I was super terrified. And I was just so scared. I thought I was going to throw up. Somebody, you know, like, I was talking about this with, with uh, Sean Gasol, too. It's like, somebody thought I was, like, at one point asked me if I was, like, on something, and I wasn't. <laughs> I was just throwing up. <laughs> I was so scared. And we played, like, six songs, and we covered um, this one song from a band we liked on the 7-inch we found. Turns out they were a local band. Turns out they were there. Luckily, they found it flattering. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> we didn't even know... Like we were so naive about everything. Even though I went to shows, I was just not a cool punk kid. I was the weird, awkward punk kid that didn't talk to anybody and didn't know what to do. And but we played it, and the show went really well. And though I was terrified, it was like one of those moments where you're like terrified the whole time, and it feels like it's like 300 hours, but at the same time, it went by so fast. And I was just after it was done, we're like, we got to do that again, you know. And it got easier from there, but. But yeah. that's the story of my very first show ever.
0: I I feel like that's a lot of people's first shows. They're either really mm-hmm. nervous or something goes really wrong or really right. And regardless right. of what it is, it's, it, it brings them back to, to keep going and
1: playing more yeah, shows. Yeah, it's just a bug. It, you know, Matt Freeman from Rancid, the basis. I'm going to actually name drop here because this is such, such a great thing to say. He deserves credit but he said this to me, he said, we play music, not because we want to, but because we have to. We have no choice. We have to do this. And I have to say, that's really true. Like I, you know, people, this is a really dumb thing sometimes to, to decide to do and to devote parts of your life to, but it's also the most amazing thing. And it's you, before you, or it isn't. like, you're either the type of person that can squeeze into a small box and sit there for hours and then carry a bunch of stuff and get it all on stage and then just, like, go crazy and then move on and do it all over the next day, you know? It's like, or you're not. So
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you either got it or you don't.
1: Yeah, you either want it and you love it and it just grabs you against all sense or reason, or it doesn't. And, yeah, it, it was it was definitely... My story isn't that much different. I mean, and if you think about it, this is something I also tell people... Like, everybody who likes music, you know, uh, musicians, even the coolest musician you've ever seen, like, like, whoever you're picturing in your head, that's just awesome. Like, they're just music nerds. Like, you don't get that good because you have a ton of friends. I'm not saying that there isn't somebody with a bunch of friends out there that can't be a great musician, but it's generally because you have, you didn't do anything else except for, like, learn your instrument, practice singing, because you were lame. Yeah. <laughs> that one yeah. part. You know, so it's like a good thing to remember every time you're looking at any rock star or any musician or anything, it's like they're just a lame ass that like practiced their instrument because they couldn't do anything else, and that made them cool. Yeah. But you know, they're just nerds and they were terrified on stage their first time. Everybody is. Nice. I know I looked lame. I had the photos to prove it. I looked really lame. It's <laughs> shocked that I managed to overcome that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everyone's first show, they didn't look awesome
1: I was like Richard Marks in a, black, in a brown leather motorcycle vest Wishing he wasn't there <laughs> It was terrible It was just terrible
0: That's great. That's great Okay, now the first show that Tsunami Bomb ever
1: played Well, Tsunami Bomb played its first two shows in a weekend um, We initially put together a show at the Phoenix Theater Again, that was the home place where everyone hung out I was in another band initially, uh, a rap rock band, if you can believe that, that just kind of happened to me. And we had almost gotten signed and into the majors because 'cause have had great songs and it was totally cheesy, but it was working. But I was kind of unhappy and I wanted to do a side project. And... I thought of the name while we were playing with this, um, there's a band that was, I don't know if they're still around, I'm sure they probably are, they called the White Trash Debutantes. And
0: okay.
1: they were uh, fronted by uh, Ginger Coyote. But she had these two Japanese punk girls as like dancers and backup singers. And they and then when I played a show with them, I hung out with them and we were talking all night. And they were telling me about Japan and the punks in there. And I was telling them about you know punk scene in California, and we were just like ta- we were just talking all night, and uh, they were super cool. I was way too nerdy to hit on them. I wish I could have, <laughs> but um, but like it, it reminded me how much I was into Japanese culture, and I wanted to name the band something that sounded like an anime or a manga.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I thought
1: it would just sound so much cooler if I did that. So I started thinking about what this project would be called and like how, you know, I started putting together these cool Japanese words with stuff that sound like a cool weapon. And I, I eventually came up with tsunami bomb. The first person I asked to do it was this girl who, who I had become friends with at the Phoenix theater, her and a group of friends. And she had like, she's just, you know, when you meet somebody and they just stand out, she was a lot younger than me. And in fact, it should kill me for mentioning this, I totally walked in on her making out with my little brother. <laughs> at to Phoenix one time (laughs) and like yeah it's just that's pretty hilarious like and so she was kind of like this adopted little sister and she was just just punk rock girl She was super pretty and she just had nothing but attitude and she was like way young but like I just thought she was the coolest thing ever and that was Oubliette and I asked her to do this project with me and she was down and I was trying to go with her I'm like you know what yeah, you on guitar and me on bass would be awesome. And she's like, I'm not, she could play guitar. But she's like, I'm not doing guitar. I'm playing keyboard. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? And she's like, no, I'm playing keyboard. That's it. I was like, but we need a guitarist. And she goes, like, I don't care. I'm playing keyboard. And I'm like, okay, fine. Play your keyboard. We'll have a punk band with a keyboard. That's what we're going to do. And she's like, that's what we're going to do. And I'm like, And I found out later she just didn't have the confidence in her guitar playing, but she knew she could play piano and she could play keyboard, so. So then I went to my girlfriend at the time who was, I was in the rap rock band, and then that kind of fell apart for me, and I left that band, she got ugly, and then she kind of left that band, and her name was Kristen, and she became the first singer, tsunami Bomb, and she agreed to do it. And then we, like, begged and borrowed people to be in our band, and we could, like, um... Emily's older brother, who's my roommate, his name is Logan Whitehurst, is a phenomenal musician, and he did the artwork on two of our albums. He's just an amazing person and passed away a couple of you know, a few years ago, and I miss him a lot. But he was our, our stand in drummer, so he helped us out, and then, and then we convinced Kim, who's boyfriend, to play guitar, and he was like this rockabilly guy, and he was like, I'm playing guitar with you guys, but I'm not in the band. And he said that to us for like a year. And then uh, eventually, then for the shows, Logan couldn't do the shows, so we borrowed our friend Gabe Lindemann, who would end up becoming the drummer for Tsunami Bomb, but he bought, we borrowed him, and he filled in. And then we, I hit up my friends in this band, this punk band called Lucky Strikes from Sacramento, if they wanted to help us do a show. So we planned a show at the Phoenix Theater in Petaluma, uh, and then I the think it was going to be was in June. And then they hit us up and said, hey, you want to play a show in the show the night before, like a warm-up show for you guys at this place called the Fatty Mocha? And I'm like, I had totally played the Fatty Mocha before. It was run by the stoner punk kid. And he, I was like, yes, let's do it. Two shows. Oh, my God, it's like a tour. <laughs> and so we all piled into my blazer. I had this little blazer at the time. And we loaded up the back of it, and we all piled in, and then we drove out, we were gonna borrow some of their equipment, and we we headed out to Modesto, which is like a two-hour drive. And my blazer decided to throw a rod uh, and broke down in a town called Patterson in the middle of nowhere. Um,
0: uh, of so California. It's, it started was, right away.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was just like, what the hell? It, <laughs> And in fact, the very first picture of Tsunami Bomb all standing together, I look exhausted and pissed. because <laughs> <laughs> It's in Modesto, because what ended up happening, so Lucky Strike came and picked us up. There was no fixing my, my blades, there was no repairing it on the side of the road. I had it towed home, it cost me a fortune, and we just rode with Lucky Strike. And uh, so we all piled into their van, they took us to the show, and we played our very first show that only a couple people were there for, but like um, a bunch of musicians in California happened to be there, including our guitarist now, Andy Pohl, he was there watching us play. It was super fun, even though I was like really bummed out and we had like five, six songs, and we played them. And then we came back to the Phoenix Theater, they drove us home and we played there and we had some pictures of us playing that very first show. And we looked like a random motley crew of people. Like, <laughs> it's really funny to look at us all. Uh, and like, so for so like first year, of not long we had to bag borrowed steel members, but people liked it and, uh, you know, we loved it. And we were like, we're gonna make this work. So it took a lot of, of big borrowing, and stealing musicians for a long time. But that was the story of the first, first weekend. And the only sacrifice was my blazer. I lost my car. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. <laughs> yeah, I sacrificed my car so that tsunami bomb could live. Yeah. So, well,
0: got to take the, the good with the bad. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not the first car I sacrificed to tsunami bomb to be quite honest. So, you know. Yeah. But ah, that's the story of my first show. It was right brutal. On. Yeah. <laughs> I think we we slept at Patty Mocha that night, and I think I was like accosted by like a skinhead. Girl, that wouldn't leave me alone. It was really weird. (laughs) So, it was a a bizarre.
0: Let's switch this over to your best show ever.
1: My best show ever is a tough one, as many people have, because there have been a lot of really amazing moments in my life. I will tell one of them. Uh, This is not the only, but um, one of them started really bad. It was actually in, it had to have been, I feel like it was Portland, Oregon. And we were on tour with the vandals. And on the trip, the guitarist at the time, uh, in tsunami bomb, I for to clean the windows of her van that were dirty. I, I climbed up on the wheel well and using my hand steady on the, on the, on the, the side of the windshield, I was cleaning, um, cleaning the window. And, uh, he didn't look and he jumped in the van and slammed the door on my hand. And the tip of my middle finger on my front hand on my, my, my left hand, just with immediately black. And I was like on the ground, like it was so painful and there was no blood or anything, but then all of a sudden it just turned black at the tip of my finger. The nail turned black. The finger was turning black. And for the next few days, it was so hard to play because I had to play without hitting the finger. And if I touched that finger at all, I felt like I was going to pass out. Oh, man. And my sister was working merch at the time. And see, I should have been smart because we went, I don't know, I can't, I'm trying to remember the order of shows. But I think we played like, we went into Canada. So we played in, in, in uh, Vancouver. I, you know, I should have gone to the doctor there where it was free, but uh, no, no, <laughs> I didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, so my sister was, like, working merch for us, and she was kind of annoyed with everybody because everybody was kind of downplaying the injury and kind of like, oh, he's fine, he's fine. Oh, he's just kind of, you know, and even even the guitarist at the time, I think he felt like I was trying to make him feel guilty or something. He's he was like, no, stop, stop complaining about it. And I was like, it really hurts. <laughs> and so before the Portland show, so it started out bad. Before Webs, we get to my sister, my little sister, she she actually works sometimes as the tour manager for Tsunami Bomb. So she's always been like uh, back then she was a merch. Like she'd come in and out of Sunoth you know, working for Tsunami Bomb and she she like definitely a no nonsense, takes no bullshit, like not playing games kind of girl. She's awesome. And she was like, looking at my finger. She's like, no, that's it. We're taking him to the hospital. This is stupid. And so we get to the Portland venue, and they're like, we don't have a lot of time. We had like five hours. We got there that early. And, of course, the hospital took forever. And, you know, they finally could bring me in. And the doctor takes one look at it, and he's like, oh, I see what's wrong. He's like, "Um." he goes, I don't know if you broke it. I mean, we could get x-rays. And I was like, I don't really have time. I got a show coming up. I've been here for hours. And he's like, yeah, 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 okay. Um, Well, it's a a blood buildup, so I'm going to drill a hole in your nail. And I was like, you're going to drill a hole in my nail? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This will work. And I was like, okay. I'm like, just like totally freaking out now. Like, drill a hole in my nail. And he goes, no, I promise this will work. And so he comes back, and he gets this, like, big face mask on, and, and I'm just terrified. And he comes in with this thing. He sets my hand down, and he's like, okay, you ready? And I was like, okay. And then he, like, just touches the nail, like, burns a hole. It's like a little, almost like a soldering gun or something. And just you kind know, of runs down and goes, <clears throat> And as soon as he does it, blood squirts across the room, hits him in his face mask, which is why he had it on. It just shoots out He covers it up. Blood just comes out everywhere I immediately like it's like all I just suddenly was like oh my god I'm out of pain oh my god that feels so much better like it was the pressure buildup of the blood being crushed and it swelling and not having anywhere to go underneath the nail so as soon as he drilled a hole in it it, ble- it was bleeding underneath the nail it just didn't clear out of it so as soon as he drilled a hole and relieved the pressure I was like oh my god so he's like no problem and I was like oh my god this is the best so we wrapped it up. We drain, I drained it a whole bunch. It's so super gross, but I was so out of pain I couldn't I couldn't believe it. That's awesome. Wrapped it up. Yeah, and then and then people are calling and my sister's like, dude, they are calling, they're calling. You gotta be on stage right now. So I like I slammed down the money, uh, and we hopped into a cab and we, we head across town to get to the venue and it was the most it was the most Spinal tap metal moment of my life. Because I count I, I get out of the car and there's there's all these crew guys freaking out, and there's my tour manager at the time, and they're like, thank God, you're waiting to be on stage right now apparently we were like already like ten minutes late and uh, I, I walk in and it's like I'm going through the back and through this like this kind of I can't even remember the name of the venue and I'm so sorry that I don't I mean I, I'm sure I can look it up uh, and I'm going through there, and there's just people, like, walking with me. Like, it's, like, right out of the movies that they show rock stars or in the behind where, where, like, everybody's walking you up. And everyone's like, out of the way, out of the way, come, on, come through. <laughs> and I'm walking up, and I, I, I get to this, I get closer, and as we're getting closer, I hear, I hear this noise. And I can't make it out first. And we're walking through the backstage and everyone's like, freaking out. I was like, oh, he's here, he's here. And like people are going the mic. He's like, you sure? You don't go to the stage. You don't go to the stage right now. <laughs> and I hear, and I'm hearing this chanting and I'm like, what the hell? And I, as I get closer, um, somebody comes running up and they hand me my bass because it's wire, it's a wireless bass. So I hand it, and I put it on and I hear, tsunami bop, tsunami bop, And the crowd is chanting and getting angry that we haven't gone on and it's been so long yeah and then as i'm walking up i get to the stage the side stage and i see the band and they're like everybody's like oh my god you're here thank god and i'm like i'm here and they're like are you ready and i was like and i just keep walking past them like right on the stage like i'm ready and then i jump off the the side of the stage and i like run up and i jump off the drum riser and i do this weird crazy spin Another one of the one of the more rock star moments, like this pirouette in the air, and I land and I just strum the bass really loud, so it's like, <laughs> and everybody just erupts in cheers. <laughs> and then the band comes out, and then we like Dave, uh, like hits the stick, and like, <laughs> and then we just jump into a song, and the crowd goes insane. Like they start cheering, and then like there's just moshing and crowd surfing. And the show's insane and people are losing their minds and I'm spinning around like a crazy person because the first time I could actually use my middle finger, I was so happy and blood, uh, it started bleeding again. So blood came all down my arm and was like all over the base. It was super crazy. It was an amazing show. And like, and then when we finished it, people were just like, it's just the applause was thunderous and crazy. And we walked off, and I ran into the vandals. They were watching from the side stage, and they're like, and we're supposed to follow you now. What the hell was that? And it was just one of those moments where everything should have made that show terrible. Everything. Uh, But it wasn't. It was amazing. It was an amazing moment. And my finger didn't hurt anymore, so that really helped. (laughs)
0: coming the flop of that the worst (laughs) gig you've ever had
1: you know sitting on the other side of this question you realize how hard of a question it is because you have there there again like there were great moments there's a lot of moments like there's a lot of times where you're like just playing to nobody and you're just like why why I mean I remember one show in North Virginia and the only dude that was there was a guy in a tigger, dirty Tigger outfit. And he proceeded to roll around on the ground in the whole room in front of us. And I think he was just trying to go off for us, it was just him, which is really sweet. But at the time, all he was showing us was just how empty the room was. <laughs> 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 and. And then there's like other moments where the band was just, you know, bands just getting psyched and you're all just annoyed with each other and you just want to go home and you're just up there and you're trying to make the best of it and pretend like you're all like buddy-buddy but really you just want to take your instrument and smack it over the head of of all the others and you just and want to get as far away from them as possible. Uh, And then there's times where it's a full crowd and they're just not having it. They just aren't having it. You know, you are you are putting all this energy out to them and they are just sitting there like not caring. <laughs> and yeah. you can feel that they don't care. And it's just the worst. Um, I'm going to tell a story that didn't So, of those many stories that I had. I'm going to talk about a moment that didn't happen in tsunami bomb. It happened in another punk band that I had, uh, while we were on tour. And, um, it was, <laughs> it was less of a show, but more of a moment. But it was one of my least favorite moments ever. <laughs> because we were on tour with No Effects, Strike Anywhere, and Dead to Me. And Dead to Me and us kept flip-flopping being first and second. And on this day, we were first. And I feel like this happened... When I think about it, I think it was, it was I think it might have been Denver, but it could have been somewhere else. Um, it was somewhere in the Midwest, like that. And I'm not sure why, but everybody in the band decided that they wanted to cover and this is not too long about a band called Love Equals Death, which is a terrible name, I know, but that's what it was. <laughs> and They all decided one day while I was maybe sleeping and I woke up in the van to find out that the entire band had decided they wanted to cover the song Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. (laughs) (laughs) And I I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, it's going to be sweet. And I was like, no, it's not. (laughs) Yeah, no. That's a terrible idea. And they're like, no, you don't even know. And I was like, yeah, I do know. That's a terrible idea. Uh, And they're like, no, it's gonna be sweet, trust me. And I was like, no, no, this is terrible. That's the worst idea ever. And they're like, getting mad at me, because I'm like telling them no. Okay, I was like, all right, let me stop for a second and just pretend that we're not in a punk band playing punk audiences. And you want to play an arena rock song, a big pair of metal arena rock pop song from the 80s that nobody finds interesting. It's not even ironic right now. It's still not, it's not ironic. Ironic, and it hasn't been enough time. But you want to play this song in front of an effects crowd, but okay. But that is an arena song. Like, big amounts of guitars layered on that track with, like, huge backing vocals. Oh, man, you're like there's no way that we are going to interpret that song in a new way that's going to blow anyone's mind. It's just going to sound small and awkward. And they were like, they kept arguing they wanted to do it. And I kept arguing against it and they got madder and madder and I got madder and madder and we're all in the van. And finally they used a trump card on me that I couldn't argue with where they're like, well, we're all in agreement, and you're outvoted. And you say it's a democracy. And I'm like, son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) So they all are determined. And I have never learned a song during sound checks leading up to this moment. So unhappy. And I just kept begging them, to reconsider and they were so mad at me. Like they never really forgave me for how angry I got how bothered I was. And I wish I could have just played. And there are bands now I think that could pull it off, but I still say that's one of those songs that's like, you know, if you love that song, I'm not saying it's a bad song. I'm not even saying it's a bad song. It's just, there's no way you're gonna cover an arena rock song and make it sound, I mean, unless you're gonna do it acoustic, maybe that's kind of new, maybe you play it on piano. And that would be crazy and different. You know, maybe you you change it to a minor key and make it dark. You know, that'd be amazing. But if you're just going to be like a four-piece punk band and you're going to play it, you're just going to sound small and weird. <laughs> and that's what happened. Yeah. So we get to the show and we're playing the set. And this band was one of those bands that you had to see live to get. Like, for some reason, like, our, you know, the recordings are fun and everything, but it's really live that this band worked. And it's what got assigned the fad at the time. And, you know, um, and we, just, we'll, we would just win over audiences because we just went for it. You know, we just would full-on go for it. And people were going off. It was such a great show. Man, I'm, I'm getting upset talking about this. Because it was still perfect, <laughs> crowds were people were crowd surfing, they were moshing, everyone was going for it. I knew we were gonna like sell well. We we were outselling sometimes some of the other band opening bands like, and they're a great bands. So it's like that's saying something. Like we were really doing a great job on this tour, and then these ass and idiots decide that, then when we get to the part of the set where they want to play. Sean Bon Jovi's seminal pop classic, living on a Prayer," And I just want to die. And they hit those chords, the first chords, and they even are sitting there trying, like, the guitarist is singing into the mic, whoa, 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 like the woes that, like... <laughs> and it just sounds like utter bat poop. It's just so terrible. And the crowd stopped moving. They just stopped. Like as soon as we hit that song, they're going off, they're cheering. And we start playing that song and the cheer dies down. And I can see their faces even in the dark where they look disappointed in us as people. (laughs) And they're just trying to stare and figure out what is actually happening and why are we playing this song of all songs. And it just went over like a lead balloon. And I, I'm i sitting there, playing the bass part, watching the singer of the band as he like, grinds his crotch out into the air and he's thrusting his fist as if he's at Madison Square Garden and he's got like, feathered John Bon Jovi hair. Like, he's having the time of his life and I look out at the crowd and they are just it and they stop moving and they just stare (laughs) and the arms cross and as we're playing I'm like I just I can't look at them anymore and I turn my back to the crowd and kind of go over to my amp and then I'm like sitting there wishing I was anywhere but here and I look over and I see Strike Anywhere, and they're all watching, and they look confused, and I'm looking at them because I'm confused why we're doing this, and I can't stop it, (laughs) and I see the guitarist for Strike Anywhere, and he's looking at me, and our eyes meet each other, and I'll never forget this, and he looks at me, and he mouths the word, why? (laughs) And I went, I shrug my shoulder, and I go, I don't know. I don't, and, and like over the music, like whisper, like just mouthing the words, I don't know. <laughs> and then you kind of, they kind of shake their head. And I take one more look at the crowd over my shoulder. And they're still just staring. And my dumb band is still going off like crazy. <laughs> and I move over to the side of the stage slowly can't notice. You've got to understand, if you've ever seen me live, you know I go off. Like, I hold nothing back. I'm jumping, I'm playing, I can't stand still. Oh, yeah. But I, but I slowly, I'm just standing there playing, like as if it's a band practice. <laughs> and I edge my feet, like I start shuffling slowly to the tune of the music off the stage <laughs> until I'm almost standing next to Uh, Strike Anywhere Who's watching us And I'm just Sort of edging Until you almost Can't see me anymore I've left The stage completely (laughs) Meanwhile the other three idiots Are going off like It's like The best thing That's ever happened to them And finally The song ends And I have never heard In all my career A more awkward clap Than a sold out (laughs) crowd At this venue. Like, it was just. (laughs) Like, even the people clapping were embarrassed to even clap. They didn't know what else to do. Or perhaps they were clapping because it had finally ended. (laughs) Yeah. Yay, it's done. And then we had three more songs. And, you know, that was like a talking break. And then we jumped into three more songs. I came back on stage, you know, edged back in. But the moment had been ruined, and I couldn't move around like I was. I had been taken completely out of the show. And not just me, but the crowd did, too. Um, They just stood there and watched us for the rest of the show. And they clapped a little bit more as we continued. But we only had three more songs, and then our big finish, and it was over. And we get off stage, and I just want to die. And the singer comes up to me, and he's like, I told you, it was going to be sweet. Ugh. And I was, like, I was like, you're out of your mind. And then he went to the other bands. And then Dead to Me plays after us, and then they cover uh, a misfit song. And people lose their mind. And I feel like I know this didn't happen, but I mean, I almost feel like I could have had a single tear running down my cheek as I watched them play this cool cover that everybody went crazy to. <laughs> going, that could have been us. We could have covered. We could have covered somebody else. Cool, like we could have covered. I don't know, Mind the Threat. That would have been fun. That off Ivy, We could have done that too. You know, why not? You know. Um, Look! Look at the crowd. They love. They love the misfits. We covered Bon Jovi because that's the kind of band I chose to be in. I don't know when that happened, but that apparently is what happened. And so the the epilogue of the story was is that my the guys in my band went to everybody else on the tour and they were like, "Wasn't that sweet?" And they, everyone was like, "No, that was terrible," and they got really upset. And then they they insisted on playing it the next day, and we did, and I was miserable again, and again, the crowd stopped moving, only this time, they, the three of them seemed to be removed from their own space to notice that the crowd stopped moving whenever we played that song, and then that ruined the entire show for the rest of the set, and finally, after that next night, they retired the song, and I could just say, I tried not to say anything, and at one point when it came up, I was like, I told you. And they never forgave me. In fact, I think it led to the breakup, or at least my leaving of that band, of them, because they even said the day that I left, they are like, well, you never really like all the things we want to do anyway. And I was like, yes, that's true. Yeah. I don't. So you you could say that
0: Bon Jovi broke up that band.
1: Well, you know, a lot of things led to me leaving that band. I had a lot of personal issues at the time that were very hard and stuff like that. But when they were, like, justifying them going, yeah, it's probably good that you go, they were like, yeah, you're not really into what the rest of us want to do anyway. And I was like, yes, that's true. And I thought about the Bon Jovi moment when they (laughs) brought that up, and I'm pretty sure they were thinking about that, too. And that, my friend, was the worst moment on stage that I've had, <laughs> where I just couldn't control it, and I was uh, a victim of democracy. I'll never forget. No effects also commenting on. I was like, I heard. It. <laughs> I just remembered it. Uh, Fat Mike say like, I heard you played, uh, living on a prayer, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? <laughs> uh, my band's my band's stupid. And he's like, I think he was like, yeah, my band's stupid sometimes too. <laughs> Just trying to be supportive. <laughs> yeah, he was just trying to be nice. <laughs> i like, when he was like, what? And was, I was like, why? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't have an answer. I didn't want to do it. They thought it would be sweet. That's so sad. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually upset about it now. I think <laughs> I'm still mad. It's been years. Still mad about it. <laughs> still still mad. That had to have been like 2005, 6 I'm still pissed. <laughs> was terrible, terrible show. Oh my god. Yeah. I hope they hear this. I hope they hear this radio show. Yeah, you guys are idiots. Why'd you do that? <laughs> Stupid.
0: I'll, uh, I'll hashtag them. So <laughs> <laughs>